have text. <laughs> you can go slow. Um, a kids co. A kids co. This show was brought to you by a kids co. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm head of books at a kids co. We make books for all kinds of kids and families. We have books about belonging and gratitude and shame. Books about curiosity and justice and bravery. Books on topics that reflect your family, your community, and your experiences. We have books written by artists and teachers and coaches. Books by musicians and immigrants and kids. Books by people who know that sharing our stories can help us grow stronger and grow together. Check out these books and more by visiting akidsco.com. We have a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the code BETTERGROWNUPS at checkout to save 25% off your entire purchase. That's akidsco.com and use the code BETTERGROWNUPS. Thanks! Hey, welcome to Better Grownups. I'm Jelani Memory, founder of A Kids Co. And this is a parenting podcast all about how to be a better grown-up. This week, I'm chatting with Darren K. Roberts. Darren is a speaker, investor, two-time author, former NFL coach, and all-around incredible person. I met Darren back in 2019 and worked with him to create his first children's book, a kid's book about empathy. Darren is truly someone who's hard to forget. He's a wealth of wisdom when it comes to leaning into the most important aspects of parenting. We cover everything from advice Darren got from his own parents, remembering to slow down with your kids, and how he learned to let go of his ego when it came to being a parent. Before we start, I just want to note, Darren and I are both black fathers with 11 kids between us, which means we've seen some stuff, and I think our robust conversation shows. Along with many of my guests, Darren is truly one of my favorite people, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. Okay, Darren K. Roberts, let's get into it. Darren, welcome to the show. Hey, Jelani, it's so good to to see you. I would say in the flesh, but virtually, (laughs) I'll take whatever I can get, man. Just a chance to see your face. It's good to be here. Oh, well, always good to catch up. And I'm I'm excited to dive in today. I know a bit of your story, but I want to hear, how did you grow up? What was life like sort of zero to 18? You know, the twin goalposts in my family were religion and education. My dad's been a Baptist minister for 44 years. My mom was an elementary school principal for 30 plus years before she retired. And so... From a very early age, I was either at school, at church, or at home doing schoolwork. Um, So my mom was a third grade teacher. So in kindergarten, when I came home, she was teaching me the first grade curriculum, first grade, second grade curriculum. So that was, I think, the genesis for me of really taking pride in not just education, but lifelong learning. We traveled quite a bit throughout North America, so Canada and Mexico, they were really intent upon me getting a wider worldview than my hometown was Mount Pleasant, Texas, East Texas, you know, population 12,000 
291 people at the time. Um, not the most progressive era, you know, area in, in the country. And so my parents were very intent upon exposing me to as much positive stimuli outside of East Texas as possible. And I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm forever indebted to them for that. If you were to ask me, Jelani, back in the seventh grade, what, when I think it's one of the most dangerous questions we can ask kids, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think that question should be, who do you want to be, right? But if you were to ask me, what do I want to be? I would have told you governor of Texas by age 40. Hmm. I remember taking a trip to Austin where I live now, standing in the Capitol Rotunda and seeing the portraits of the governors and thinking like, that's what I want to do. And so I just knew that I had to make good grades, get into a good school. You know, the plan was, you know, go to UT, be student body president, Harvard Law School, go to Houston, practice for five years, go back to Mount Pleasant, hang a shingle, run for state senate, run for governor. I had the color scheme for the governor's mansion picked out. It was done, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 uh, the trappings of youth in believing in a linear plan were, were in full effect So when I, when I was growing up. But I played football. I was a first-team all-district strong safety. I mean, I wasn't a great athlete, but I was solid enjoyed it, but uh, spent most of my time in church or at school. We as kids, we have those linear plans. We think just like, I'm going to be a fireman, right? I'm going to play in the NBA. And and ultimately, you know, the big secret about being an adult is that it doesn't really work that way. And that's actually great. And I think you are the perfect example of this total nonlinear path of doing so many different things. Can you sort of take us through that professional career leaps from you know, Harvard Law to the NFL, two-time author, podcaster, speak like all of it. Yeah. So I go to the University of Texas. You know, at that time, it was the largest student body in the country, 50,500. I mean, four times the size of my hometown, just to give you some scale. On a Saturday for football, you could fit eight Mount Pleasants into the stadium, right? So it took me a while to figure it out. And I, I was fortunate to have some strong mentors. I was fortunate to have a comfort level with getting therapy and really working through, like, how do I fit into this big place? I get elected student body president my last year, checking the boxes, apply to Harvard Law School, don't get accepted, don't get rejected, get waitlisted. That was my first real bout with rejection. It really forced me to, to, to really kind of look in the, on the inside and really start to examine the why. Because if, if I were really being honest with myself at the time, which I was not, my desire to go to Harvard Law School was more about ego and less about purpose. But I take a job with Joe Lieberman. I'm working in the Senate in 01. Don't want to be in DC. Don't want to be working on the Hill. But I'm there for 9-11. And so, you know, one of the things I'm constantly telling my kids is that you know, you have to grow through what you go through. And I get a front row seat into one of the most tumultuous moments in our history. I go from working on education bills to national security bills. And I didn't want to be there, but the education that I received in that one and a half year stint, like you, you, can't, you can't put an ROI on it. Um, I'm reapplying to law school. I get waitlisted four years. I go to the Kennedy School. I get my master's. Finally get in on attempt number five, go through law school. Summer before my last year, 
my high school buddy who was a high school coach, football coach, says, hey, I'm going to work the South Carolina football camp. Let's just catch up and come with me. So I go with him. Steve Spurrier walks out the first day. He's like, look, one of our volunteer coaches didn't show up. Can somebody fill in for him? So, you know, Jelani, I'm kind of looking around. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> shit, I was a high school. <laughs> probably the right language. You know, I was a high school football player in Texas, you know, Friday Night Lights. So I raised yeah. my hand. And uh, he's like, Coach, what's your name? I'm like, Coach Roberts. All right. He's, you got group six. Yes, sir. I had no clue what he's talking about. Jelani, group six consisted of 66th graders, none of whom had any athletic talent whatsoever. Okay, this is the classic, like, you know, Papa and Grandma buy you the, yeah. you know, South Carolina <laughs> football experience. You're going to go work out for three days, get a Nike shirt, take a picture with the head coach and come back. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. They had a coach who couldn't coach. So I go to academy, I buy a bucket hat, I buy some sunglasses, a whistle, stopwatch. I'm watching uh, Tony Dungy clips and Deion Sanders clips to get drills down. I mean, this is a complete sham. Man, best three days of my life. And mm. I noticed it was the first time in my life that I did not have to set my alarm clock to get up. Um, and I'm always, you know, thinking of my kids are kind of, you know, we have five kids from 12 to five. And so we're constantly trying to remind them, just notice what lights you up. So it's so easy to concentrate on I hate school, but like, what part of the day did you really love? So I said, hey, I'm going to be a football coach. Uh, fly back into Logan, call my parents. I'm like, look, I'm finishing law school, but I'm going to be a football coach. And my dad's like, do you know how much debt you're in? <laughs> and I said, yes. A quarter of a million dollars at the time. I said, yes. I said, look, dad, I mean, look, you're, you're a Baptist preacher every Sunday you're telling people that they don't know when they're going to die, so they better make the right decision for their future. I don't want to put this off until retirement. Who knows if I get there, right? So I want to do this now. So write a letter to every team in the NFL, get 31 no's. The Kansas City Chiefs are the only yes. Herm Edwards, my mentor to this day, calls me up and he's like, I don't know why you want to do this, but I have an internship for you in training camp. I graduate. Uh, June the 6th of 07, I drive my 2002 Tahoe from Cambridge, Mass. to Kansas City, Missouri. Dude, I'm the grunt. Like, if you need barbecue sandwiches, you call mm. me. If you need, uh, if the defensive linemen need cases of skull, wintergreen skull, you <laughs> call me. Um, if players got cut, I was the guy who was putting all of their stuff into a box and taking it to UPS. Best education in football I could have got. Like, I was just in the back of the room, mm. writing notes, not saying a word, doing whatever the hell needed to be done. Yeah. End of the year, we went 4-12. and 12, People get fired. I get hired. And uh, that led to seven years coaching. So two years with the Chiefs, two years with the Detroit Lions, uh, two years with West Virginia, and then my last year with the Cleveland Browns. Um, we went 4-12. and 12. The owner walked in after the last game and said, you're all fired. Mm. And we were on a three-year deal. It was the first year. Wow. It's only happened two times in the history of the NFL. So I go home and I'm scrambling eggs. And my oldest son, Dylan, walks in. He was three at the time. And he looks at me and he looks at the skillet and he says, 
you eat breakfast? So, you know, I do what any good father would do in this moment. I just ignore the kid, keep scrambling, right? I'm like, <laughs> I just got fired. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> My wife's sitting at the, at the kitchen table and he comes back and he says it again, you eat breakfast. And I turned to my wife, I said, like, what is he talking about? Mm. My wife's from Kansas, grew up on a ranch, doesn't pull any punches. And she mm. says, when was the last time you had breakfast with Dylan? Mm. And, you know, my smirk quickly turns into, like, I'm all out crying because mm. I can't even locate the last meal, let alone breakfast. Yeah. So I, I decided, look, I'm going on sabbatical for a year. I come back to Austin, start teaching courses at UT on leadership, entrepreneurship, start a center for sports leadership and innovation. So we help our professional athletes transition back into civilian life after they're done. Um, and, you know, I've written a couple of books. I do 40 keynotes a year. Like the life now at, at 43 I could have never predicted this at 13, 23, or 33, like the life I'm living now, mm. but it is probably, it's the most wholesome time of my existence on the planet. Like w what I'm doing right now and how I'm present now with my family and in my work, I, I've never been in a place like this. Hey, grown-ups! with over a hundred different titles in our A Kid's Book About series, it may be hard to figure out where to start. Allow me to make a suggestion. There is perhaps no greater feeling, nothing more life-giving or secure than to know you belong. No matter where you are, what you're experiencing, or who you're around, without that feeling of belonging, it's hard to concentrate on anything else. We can help our kids know what it feels like to belong and what it takes to help others feel like they belong around us. When you do belong, you it's very, very evident, right? Because I like to say, your heart smiles and your brain is tickled. That's Kevin Carroll, author of A Kid's Book About Belonging. Check out our Kevin Talks About Belonging episode of A Kid's Book About, the podcast. Listen together with the kiddos in your life. And when you're ready, visit akidsco.com for more great books and podcasts made to empower kids. This is Better Grownups. Welcome back. Let's get to my conversation with Darren K. Roberts. There's so many different lessons there. There's a couple pieces I want to double-click into. One, I just want to observe that as you're telling your story... I know the bits that, that are in your mind that you're talking about that are notable to you. What stands out to me as a kid who didn't grow up with a dad, who had a mom who was mostly emotionally checked out, who had to work all the time or just sleep, is your parents were just there. So that moment when you call your dad and you're like, I want to coach for the NFL, I'm like, whoa, like that, that's the whole movie to me, right? Like that's like the amazing, like, oh, that's amazing. That's incredible because I didn't have that. And and I feel like I've got this bit of a spidey sense now for folks who grew up in good homes with parents who love them, who were there along the way, that there's a type of trajectory you can have. There's a, a an emotional security, a safety net out of that. And you, you exude that. Now, it's not to say like you haven't worked hard or gone through struggle or, you know, persevere, but 
that moment where you're at the skillet, right? And your son asked that question, that sense of remorse that you felt, you could have gone to anger. You could have gone to check out. You could have gone to, it's not my fault. You could have gone, I just got fired. Like everybody leave me alone. But no, you went to, well, I need to change like who I am, how I'm behaving. And that I think, I think is just remarkable one. And I'm also like, just sort of like fanboying going like, what was it like to have a dad? <laughs> like that's it, right? <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I think there's this thing that we do as parents with our kids and we don't even think that we do it, which is like, we try and predict the future for them and we try and create a very linear path. Right. So we're like, oh, go get the good grades to go to the good school, to get the good job, to have the good. Ha-. Like we go, there's only one path. And as soon as you step off of it, we start to go, oh, what about the whole future? And I'm curious that very nonlinear path for you, how does that imprint back on how you raise your own kids and the things you you do or don't do when it comes to guiding that path? I surprise myself all the time um, in the sense, I'll give you an example. 10 years ago, if you would have said that I would be open to homeschooling, I'd tell you, like, you don't know who I like. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, and I really have to give my wife, Hillary, so much credit. Like, we made a decision early on that we were going to do our very best to tailor each kid's experience in our home as specifically as we could to them, to each individual, uh, as opposed to a one-size-fits-all. So right now we have three kids in public school. I have two kids who are doing like a hybrid at home for three days, two two days at a um, Montessori school. And it just works for each of them right now. And so I think a little bit of when I look back, when I compare my, I I journal. So when I compare my 20-year journal entries to my 40-year journal entries, I just really am struck by the fact that I didn't know. Like, you just don't know, right? Like, you know, you know there are these decision trees and it's an infinite, there are infinite possibilities. Until you've lived it and looked back, you're like, take the predictor's hat off and really focus on the present and, and listen to what your kids are telling you. Like, I, um, my parents were, were disciplinarians um, with love. I do feel that there were some times where there was a very... I probably didn't get the opportunity to voice my mm. opinions, thoughts that I thought would deviate away from what was the structure, right? Yeah. I'm a 180 from there. We're now we're we're having conversations about sexuality and we're having conversations about race and class and the educational system. Do you need to go to college? Why can't you learn a trade? Like like There are conversations that are so antithetical to the make good grades, get into a good school, go get a good job. And my parents have acknowledged this. They said, you know, our focus on a good job, like we didn't even know people made money making speech. Like they couldn't even comprehend that someone could feed their family and do well 
from speaking to companies for 60 minutes. There's just so much you don't know. So I just think that the the default for parents needs to be this openness to explore alongside our children. I think that's wise in that that approach with your kids, just in the way that your parents, there was no nuance. It was it was do it this way or else, right? Which is which was that generation of of the way to parent, which I'm sure they would go, no, that was a step up from how we were parented. There's more nuance now. There's more conversation. There's more dialogue. There's more customization. Is I'm curious when our kids become adults, when they become parents, if they do, how they'll go, yeah, 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 you you gave us a bunch of nuance, but you missed this part. And so then they start to offer their kids that. The name of the podcast is Better Grownups. And I and I really believe like we're always standing on the shoulders of the the generation previous and the things that we were given. And that's the things we were given and were not given, whether those are positive or negative, to go to take those things that were good, to learn from those things that were negative, to go, you know, this happened to me, but it will never happen to my kids. I'll never do that. And the big grown-up secret is that our kids are going to go do that same exact thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and And somehow, maybe through these conversations, I'm trying to do some self-therapy to go, I hope I am mature enough and emotionally secure enough to have my kids say, hey, you did this really well and thank you, but this you really missed. You missed the bar and I got hurt in some in some really bad ways. And for me, to, I hope I can hear that and receive that. And instead of saying, I did the best I could, is to say, I'm so sorry. And leave it at that because <laughs> it's just like this thing you know, my wife and I were always talking about our own parents and there's the excusing, right? There's like, the, ah, well, you know, the, the times were tough and I did the bad, you didn't know what was going and And it's always those things and it, and it almost stunts folks. It stunts the kids who are now grownups and it stunts those, uh, but you know, parents who are now grandparents very often. And I think for that evolution to continue, for us all to really become better grownups, we... We have to both be able to let our kids stand on our shoulders, but also judge our actions and our behaviors and the way that we we gave to them or didn't. My wife again, uh, this practice of you know we ask for for feedback uh, mm. consistently each week. Like, how are we doing? With, mm. with so our kids? A, a three sixty process. A three sixty process. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing three sixties in our home. <laughs> the great thing about kids is you know the research shows this until they get into the sixth seventh grade, they're brutally honest. Mm. Um, you know, the psych research shows that around the seventh grade, they start caring about what so-and-so thinks. But up until that, I mean, you ask a five-year-old a question, he or she, they are going to give you what they think. Mm. And it's been the most sobering experience for us to sit around a table and for our children to inform us, you know, even when we think we're doing a great job, that the ship is 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 right on track, whatever that track is, for them to identify gaps, and for then for my wife and me to then huddle up and say, "Don't take it personally," mm-hmm. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. We ask for feedback. It's like, yeah. it's like the typical kind of corporate experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, tell me how I'm doing. And <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, yeah, man, but it's beautiful, right? I think it's beautiful because as parents, we don't know what the hell we're doing. I mean, you can read every manual. Um, you're just trying to get as much good information as possible and do the best you can. And I think as long as we, we're constantly checking our egos as parents. I think also too, parenting is vitally important, but I don't forget that there's like five genetic codes running around my house. And I'm not sure whether nature, nurture, divide, there's not a clean mm. proportion that we can put a number to. A lot's out of our control, yeah. right? And so, like, almost taking some comfort in that and saying, listen, I'm going to do the best I can. But we've all have examples of two kids, you know, classic examples of twins growing up in the same home and different outcomes. Yeah. And so um, take off the predictor's hat and just be present. Have you ever heard someone say or do something racist and you want to say or do something in return? But what do you say and how do you say it? Do you even know enough to say anything at all? If this sounds like you, then keep listening. Hi, I'm Misasha, a lawyer. And I'm Sarah, a life coach. And we are two biracial best friends who started Dear White Women, an award-winning weekly podcast which aims to help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We started it back in April of 2019. And together, we use conversations both with ourselves and with others to explore our three pillars of anti-racism. Listen, learn, and act. We'd love for you to join us in our journey because this is one. And spoiler alert, it's not just for white women. Listen for new episodes every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more, find us at dearwhitewomen.com. A kid's book about war. A little book about justice. A kid's class about mental health. A kid's mindful moment. A kid's podcast about emotions. There is so much to explore at akidsco.com. Check it out! Visit akidsco.com. We're back. You're listening to Better Grownups and my conversation with Darren K. Roberts. When parents feel like they need to control their kid into a certain behavior or a certain outcome or a certain grade or a certain school or a certain sort of professional trajectory, is they then end up taking credit for that. I did this, right? When those kids become Grownups, they resent that. They resent the hell out of that because that wasn't their parent. That was them, right? And they should be able to earn and own those accomplishments. And, you know, it, it goes the other way, which is I'm responsible for my kids. I need to love them. I need to take care of them. I need to pour into them. I need to be able to take feedback. If they fall off, if they go down a bad path, if they have some struggles, I can, I can grieve that. I can try and look for what did I do wrong in here, but I also can go, they're also their own person, and it's not solely on my shoulders, their decisions and the outcomes, which I also think takes down the pressure and the burden to go, they need to get it right all the time. Like We only ever really want our kids to be perfect because it's a reflection of us, right? So our kid throwing a tantrum in Target, 
we're we're not worried about their mental emotional well-being we're going this makes me look bad yes. you better stop yes. right and when we take out that ego like you said i think we get in a place where we can actually go oh wow something's happening here i should pay attention i should listen i should figure out what's going on and try and adjust or navigate this moment in a way that's helpful for my kid who who seemingly is struggling, right? Or going through something or having a bad time as opposed to going, you know, clean up your act. I'm going to look stupid to my friends or to these strangers, right? Which is even worse. I mean, right? Like, I mean, case in point, have you seen the the college admission scandal Netflix movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for, for any listeners who haven't seen it, it's, it's must-see TV because within 20 minutes, it's very apparent this is less about where Johnny or Sarah are, you know, what's best for their future. This is about what are the dinner conversations going to sound like at the country club yeah. when everyone's sharing where our kids are going to school. It is very easy to get into this comparison game around you know, which middle school, which private school, which camp. As with most of these sorts of battles, you're never winning, right? Someone, yeah. Someone's always going to one-up <laughs> you in some respect. And, you know, we're, we've got one of our kids in a school that, you know, some people kind of frown upon, but there's a really great arts program there. And she loves it. Like, that is... And so you have to be able to withstand the kind of quizzical looks from... The neighbors, when you say, oh, so-and-so's going this place, and really hold on to her face lighting up when she's bringing home this incredible art project. Mm, yeah. And from someone who's like, you know, again, this was like a Harvard Law School, check the box kind of guy. I'm now looking around and saying to myself, for example, my kid... <laughs> My middle son, Jackson, came to me and said, how much revenue do I need to have in, by 18 to not go to college? Like, if I'm generating how much revenue? Uh, he has his entrepreneurial mind, which, I mean, like, he's... <laughs> At first, we tried to kind of put some... We kind of held him back, because he'll go door-to-door. He'll make up a product and go door-to-door yeah. and just sell. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I said, hey. I said, listen, you're working a muscle that is, has, like, lifelong... ROI, yeah. I'm not going to hold you back. I mean, he's the guy that's like taking the compost from Starbucks, repackaging it, and in the spring going door to door, you know, to say, hey, I could. And I said to myself, at first I thought, I was like, wait, not go to college, generate revenue. Then I thought to myself, hey, you know, <laughs> there's probably, I, I said, you know what, there's not a number. I said, but let's not turn this into an either or. Let's just, I love that you're bringing this to me. Let's always have this conversation if you're having this feeling because you may be losing money at 18 mm. and we collectively make the decision that you need to really go all in on this. So let's not try to turn this into a different game. Let's just be sensitive to kind of where you are and what you think is best. I love that. And you're, you're expanding his opportunities. You're expanding his possibilities in the future for what could be as opposed to going here's what I'll approve of and here's what I won't approve of. And kids, whether whether they consciously know those rails or not, they try and follow them because they know they'll get their wrist slapped if they don't. And that's, mm. I'm here at my home office with my like 
random array of action figures and books and my podcast gear and my computer and stuff. And and there's like no door in my office. My kids just like walk up to me like while I'm working, I'm like literally trying to run a company and my kids are still puzzled what my job is. But every year it gets a little more clear to them that I kind of get to show up and do literally whatever the hell I want to. And my job is good and it's hard and it's fun and it's challenging and it's tricky and it's exactly what I'm made to do. And I, and I want just through that osmosis of them watching me for them to go, not how do I do what dad does is how do I do that version of that for me? Mm. What does my sandbox look like that I want to show up to and play in? And in that, I've learned, I've learned, 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 because we have a really unusual family situation. We've got blended family, six kids, um, four go off to another home every other weekend. One goes off to another home every other like three and a half days, literally. And then one stays here. Okay. And the, I mean, you just imagine, you know, I'm at a soccer game with my ex-wife and her new husband and their two kids plus the one, it's a whole thing. Okay. Every single time. And what I've learned is sometimes I should shut up and not say a single thing and model something, show them something. Because the moment I want to insert a specific opinion, they actually have, it's like another board of directors that they can take that opinion to and surface it with, to see what that one, that one thinks. And what I realized is my kids are savvy as hell because they have to be. Switching back and forth between homes just creates that. And I build trust with them. I build security with them. And I, I think I build a solid worldview for them by just saying, you know, do as I do, not as I say, because um, my actions will always speak louder than my words. And then I realize I don't actually need to say this stuff. I don't need to, we don't need to be in a car ride and go, oh, now's the time to bring up the future. We're going to decide the future, right? I don't have to do that. I just have to actually on a daily basis, hour by hour, show them. And it's, I think, had a profound effect on, on all of my kids. You know, something you said at the very beginning struck me in the, uh, I think this this will probably resonate with a lot of what you just said and what I'm thinking will probably resonate with a lot of entrepreneurial parents where I remember every Sunday evening, my dad would sit me down as he balanced his checkbook, mm. you know, and he'd show me, okay, here are the utilities and mortgage and we walk through and for me, because my kids are the same, like I'm, I'm mobile. Sometimes I'm in Starbucks. Sometimes I'm at home. I still have my office at UT, even though I'm on sabbatical. So I'm here at, on campus now. And I made a decision a few years ago. I've hired my oldest two as subcontractors for my speaking business. So mm. they do, they'll do video and like Instagram lives for speeches and I'll take them on the road with me and I'll pay yeah. them. Um, and then I also let all of my kids, when I, whenever I get hard checks, I let them deposit them at the bank or at the ATM. And I show them the amount. And so it's helped to really spur some conversations around, okay, so you do this thing and people compensate you for that thing. And then that gets converted into lights, water, Chick-fil-A, <laughs> vacations, you yeah. know? 
And it took them two or three years to really, even their language shifting around, they stopped saying daddy's going to work and they started saying daddy's working. Mm. Like I noticed that shift. And I thought, oh, it, it was less about a physical space and more about the act. Yeah. I could not have conveyed that to them had I sat them down and said, okay, let's talk about the difference between a W-2 and a 1099. (laughs) (laughs) It goes back to your point about just just doing modeling the the behavior and then giving them a peek inside of what's going on. Yeah. Well, speaking of modeling behavior, you know, before we started chatting, I I had sent you an email and said, "If if we could talk about anything, what do you want to talk about? And you said, radical grace between spouses and kids. Unpack that for me, please. <laughs> Everyone loves Brene Brown, vulnerability, empathy. Um, I was I was able to do a one-on-one interview with her pre-COVID. I can't remember much of what she said, but this is what really stuck with me. When I would ask her a question, there would be this uncomfortable pause. Hmm. Like uncomfortable for me, whereas the as the interviewing, I'm wondering, did I screw this thing up? Like, does she understand what I just said? <laughs> Is this going off the rail? <laughs> but then she'd have this thoughtful response, obviously. And I remember telling my wife, like, um, we all preach like the power of listening and pausing and breathing. In the family setting is probably where those beliefs get tested more than in any other environment on the planet. When I pull into my driveway, I take two to three minutes. I shut my phone down. I leave my phone in the car until the kids go to bed. I close my eyes and I attempt to shut all of the boxes in my brain related to work. Mm. And I tell myself, regardless of how the house looks, what it smells like, what the noise level is, I am just going to assume the best from the other six people in that house as soon as I mm. walk in. Mm. And it's, it's, I've had to, and I'm still not where I need to be, but I've just learned that, you know, I would walk in and if things weren't in a certain place or if someone wasn't talking or if someone was being loud, mm. Something was wrong with someone. Like I was trying to identify the culprit. Mm-hmm. You came in like a detective trying to, like trying a detective. to like crack the case. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, got that guy, I got the hat on. I got the trench coat going. <laughs> and I'm like, look, man, these people all have lives. I'm just going to walk in and, and, and just practice some radical grace and assume the best from everyone. And it has been, for me, Jelani, it has been a game changer because what I find is like in 99.9% of the circumstances, people are trying to do the right thing. Like people, your eldest is not trying to subvert the home on a daily basis. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> so this radical grace, I'm really, um, really focusing now as a parent on slowing down, on breathing, on restating what I heard to make sure that my what I think I heard is what someone's trying to tell me. Yeah, I'm trying to use more question marks than periods mm. and just assume the best, right? Because I tell my kids to do that with people they don't know. I say, look, you know, for me, it was my grandmother Thelma saying, once a person shows you who they are, believe them. Mm. 
And we went through this in the, you know, 2020 and 2021 around, look, give people an opportunity to show you who they are. Yeah. And then I noticed I wasn't really practicing that on a daily basis with my, in my interactions with them. And so that's the work that I'm, I'm focusing on right now. Mm, that's hard work. I'm going through scenarios in my head with my own kids and, and I'll find myself, this is like complete honesty, I'll find myself not only, not only like with my antenna up going, what's happening here, right? But going like, what can I find? Like almost looking for a reason to be angry as a way to shift the blame, as a way to exercise this like this energy that I have and and not just be present and assume the best and embrace my kids' excitement and seeing me and wanting to share something with me, wanting to share their day with me because I'm caught up on my son left some uh, some top ramen noodles, the dry ones, like just some some scraps on the ground, and it's just like lodging in a place in my brain where it's like all of a sudden that is that's the universe, right? Like that's like that's like everything. It's like not only not only left them there, but there was like premeditated intent to leave them there, yeah. the forgetfulness <laughs> that he left them there, you know, and you know you almost have to like laugh at yourself because it's like what what is this? And I think it's that. Being a parent can make you feel so out of control, just absolutely out of control because you got all these human beings. I mean, I got six, you got five. That's a lot of kids, man. And I'm just, I'm working to control myself most days. Forget about a bunch of other human beings. And there's a sense of helplessness, I think, that comes from that. If you were to give one just tip, secret, little nugget or jewel for parents to to embrace that 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 radical grace what is that is it just to just stop and just sit there and just breathe and just go why am i why am i not enjoying this moment or embracing it for what it is why am i almost looking for a reason to be upset as a coach i remember you know i was around some pretty elite athletes i think of guys like tony gonzalez hall of fame tight end Calvin Johnson, Hall of Fame, wide receiver. And watching them and listening to them, when the whistle blew, they were they were moving fast. But everything about them before, like before the game, after the game, in practice, everything was very deliberate and slow. Mm. Like when they were taking a practice rep, even the way they approached the line of scrimmage or even the way that they like the preparations they would go through with their body before a workout, like everything was so deliberate and slow. And so my main coaching point, and I'm coaching myself, so this is nothing I've mastered and I am <laughs> in the, I'm in the struggle with you. All of you parents who are listening, like I'm in the struggle. Slowing down, mm. like really slowing the clock down. I'm really rushing my kids to get ready for school because I want to start my day at eight o'clock in Starbucks. So it may be that the angst that I'm exerting because Dylan can't find his shoes is less about him not finding his shoes at that time. It's more about my own expectation of my day. Yeah. And really slowing down and thinking to myself, this is a 30 second solution. Like this dilemma 
will be solved within the next 30 seconds. <laughs> is it worth the blow up at 7.14 a.m. on a Tuesday morning? A point that you made I think is so important, which is sometimes not saying anything. Mm. I mean, you zoom out. The kid knows he doesn't have any shoes on. He knows he has to go to school. He's looking. He wants to put on shoes. <laughs> Do I need to continuously berate him about our our system for shoe placement? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll make me feel good. It'll make him feel bad. Yeah. Net loss. So really slowing down. And, and I think that I also have recognized this is that I've been a little hypocritical in the sense of, I sold entrepreneurship and owning my own business as a means to freedom in time. Mm. But in practice, I'm not practicing. Like I'm not exuding the benefits that I sold you. Yeah. I don't have to get to work at 8 a.m. because the guy in the cubicle next to me is going to give me the side eye. I don't have to do that. So like, what's, so what is it? Right. So just really slowing down, slowing down. I think that's the absolute perfect piece of wisdom. And I'm already thinking of moments that I can put it into practice in my, in my own life. Um, Darren, wow, man, thank you. This was great. No, man. Thank you. Listen, thanks for all that you do. I mean, I, the grand connector of the universe, Kevin Carroll, brought us together. <laughs> um, from that, you know, writing the book with you. Here's the thing. You and I both know that there are a lot of people who've attempted to do this work. But I always trust my spidey sense. And I know when it, it isn't from a place of genuine care, it's, it's a market move. Sure. Everything that you've done and that you do is really aimed at at fostering these types of conversations and helping us all to get better. And so I'm a proud author, investor, like I'm, I'm all in. So I, I thank you for, you could be doing a lot of things on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thank you for taking on the work. Thanks again to Darren and to you for listening. You can find Darren at CoachDKR on Twitter. Keep up with me at Jelani Memory on the Twitters. I really would love to hear what you think of the show, questions you want answered, and guests you'd love to hear from. Just email us at listen at akidsco.com. Better Grownups is written and hosted by me, Jelani Memory. Matthew Winner, the one and only, was the producer on this episode, with additional production support from Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. Explore a collection of over 80 books made to empower by visiting akidsco.com. There you'll also find our growing network of original podcasts for kids. No matter who they are, what their interests, or what big questions they're asking, we are making shows just for them. Find our shows on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. Friend of the show, Linz Amer, is back with a new season of Rainbow Parenting. If you enjoyed Linz's interview on Better Grownups, or if you're looking for an engaging podcast all about queer and gender-affirming parenting, we highly recommend you check it out. 
Hi, friends! Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, a brand new queer and gender affirming parenting podcast. But this show isn't just for parents. It's also for educators, caregivers, librarians, really anyone who knows, loves, and works with kids. I'm your host, Linz Amer. I'm the creator of Queer Kids Stuff, and I make queer and trans media for kids and families all over the internet. Most of the stuff I make is for kids, but this time I'm talking to you, the grown-ups. Queer Kids Stuff is the kind of show I wish I had when I was a confused little queer and trans kid who didn't have the language to express who I am. But this show is all about what I wish my parents and teachers and caregivers knew when they were raising me so they could have helped me along the way. Rainbow Parenting gives you the tools and strategies and know-how you need to raise kids in a queer and gender-affirming way, even if you don't know how. Me and a whole bunch of my friends and experts in the field are going to help you navigate LGBTQ plus and social justice topics with the kids in your lives. We're on a mission to spread queer joy and raise a new generation of supported and affirmed queer, trans, and non-binary kids and their allies. Our first episode drops on May 30th, and we'll upload new episodes every Monday through early August. That's all we've got for now. Talk soon!